But at the same time... No, I'm time, very much kind of... In- go ahead, Kev. Oh, go on. Okay. Um, oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> Will you two decide? Should we rock, paper, scissors for it? <laughs> go. Talk. Do something. <laughs> okay. Um... Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that has a new edition, new format. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, uh, new uh, new edition, new format. Uh, we did mention this uh, a couple of weeks ago on uh, Facebook, but if you missed it, um, we are revising the format of the show. This is a perfect time to do it as 9th edition is coming to a close. 10th edition is, is imminently upon us. And... Uh, we wanted to make sure that I could <laughs> continue to get out episodes in a timely fashion. And as you've noticed, our episodes lately have been getting into the consistently three and four hour range. And so to bring that down to a more manageable level where I can get these episodes out reasonably quickly, we're going to be cutting a couple of segments uh, and kind of revising the show. So news and new releases is going away because by the time I get you the recording and cover it, it is no longer new news. It is often uh, old news. Although anything that if we have a big reveal or a big piece of news, we may make an episode entirely about that. But uh, the general news and new releases segment is going. Um, the morale phase will be going because, as we kind of joked a couple episodes ago, it's leaving uh, 40K. So we're going to go ahead and let it go as well. And uh, the big one, I think, for us is also uh, listener mail. Um, now, we do want to continue hearing from our listeners uh, and when we get ready to do a mailbag episode, uh, we will put out the call for for letters. But um, we're just in the interest of saving time and also knowing that we will have like a dedicated episode where we say right into us and we will be reading it on this episode number. So, you know, which episode your, your letter is going to be in. We just figured we will just consolidate those down to mailbag episodes. Uh, we, we used to do like when we first started doing listener mail, we did a couple of mailbag episodes. It became a regular thing. And also that way we're getting a consistent, we don't have episodes where we have like five or six or a half, you know, or like eight to 10 letters and episodes where we have like two. Uh, so this will allow us to just have a more consistent flow of the show and a more consistent runtime. We're going to try to keep it around two hours. We're going to do a, a tight two. Um, also, it helps when we don't have ideas. <laughs> well, well we just like to talk. Uh, fortunately, we have ideas for weeks because there's 24 some factions yeah. to cover. Uh, they, they did their faction focus episodes and the list is 24 episodes. And within that, that doesn't can, can, that does contain the, uh, the article that is multiple space marine successor chat or like first founding chapters and one that is all dedicated to titans which is like basically all the big forge world stuff so really there there's over 20 factions so we could be doing these episodes for a year and (laughs) and we're and i we are going to basically do faction focus episodes where we dive into the full indexes 
And uh, as codexes come out, we will take a look at the changes there. Although uh, we are going to start off the show talking about, uh, before we get too, too deep into old format stuff. Uh, so we're going to, our first section of the show, we're going to be talking about, Kevin, Den- uh, Dennis, and I will be talking about our experiences at the U.S. Open. And then we will, uh, second half of the show, we will be talking about the 10th edition launch and how they are rolling things out, how the pre-order process has gone, is going, will be going, and uh, any thoughts and concerns we have about the rules, the Leviathan box set, etc. Um, so to start it off, uh, yes, three of us were at the U.S. Open here in Kansas City. It was very nice for them to be back for a second year. I I do not hope that they will be back for a third year. That seems unlikely, but I would really like it to happen. It would be nice if this is a, a consistent one because Kansas City is, I'm going to say, it feels like a hotbed for 40K. It also is a central location. Mm-hmm. There's so many places within like an eight hour drive or short flights. So it, it pulled in like I was talking to people that I met from Dallas that were suddenly there. It's like, Oh, small world. And I know there are people from Minnesota there. Uh, there's a bunch of people from St. Louis. So it pulled in people from a good part of the Midwest. Yeah. No, it's it's a fantastically central location. And we even, like, I know the Art of War team was up, and I think some of them are based out of Florida. Um, yeah, yeah, there's just people from all over the country that can, it, you know, it being that nice central location is just perfect. And also, the location couldn't be better. There's food, plenty of food in walking distance, um, lots of entertainment for people who bring their families. So it's it's a really good location to, yeah, to hold a really good these a- events at. Yeah, it's a good, really good location for a 40k event. Wonder, uh, yeah. wonder who, and, who thought of that. <laughs> and the venue is also nice because it has lots of space. It's easy to yeah. have Their venue all is of the tables. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, I am impressed each time I've been there, which is only two, but they've only been here two. So I've been impressed each time they've been here. Now they yeah, they sure. put on a yeah they put on a great show. It seemed like it was an even better production than last year's and last year's was still very good we had also uh this was a year of firsts for them they were managing their first team tournament at uh mm-hmm. the at the u.s open in kc and i was surprised by how many teams there were i did not expect it to hit <clears throat> as big as it did honestly i, I th- think i'm the same there because when we we saw it we we talked i was like man if we get two more we could make a preferred enemies team that would be kind of cool and, you, and we were like yeah, we don't have that. I'm like, okay, narrative it is. <laughs> but I, I, from hearing people, they were also saying, well, there was no singles, so we we found people and made teams. But I think that was a a good move in a way because the teams just were. You could hear them throughout yeah. the time, and when you when you just walked through, each of the groups had like a theme, and it was it was it was fun to see, and then. Teams is a totally different format. I mean, you still play 40K, but the fact that your overall rating is based on the team rating, like did you go three and two? Did you go four and one? Things like that. And it makes picking those matchups like a game within a game. And so it adds something to 40K that isn't there in just the singles games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they, I think it definitely turns out a different audience. Uh, and definitely a different like vibe than a than a normal normal single per, uh, tournament. And uh, yeah, I, I think it was very cool for them to include that. I I, I want to say I think they I think they said 
500 people or 450 people total for across all of the events because there was an Age of Sigmar turn a team tournament, 40k team tournament. They did eventually add a 40k and a Sigmar singles event. There was Kill Team, there was Blood Bowl, there was the Crusade events. I mean, they yeah, they had a just a huge turnout. There were there was a good number of people that showed uh, showed up just to do the hobby challenge stuff on yeah. Saturday and Sunday. Which surprised me because the, there was an entry fee to get into that because you're buying a like a fifty dollar model, mm-hmm. but there were like families doing it. So I was like, oh, and it was a great way to have people who weren't, I guess, gaming have something to do that they could take away and, and kind of show their experiences. Yeah. And it, they were really leaning to all parts of the hobby. And I even like the fact that, you know, the hobby challenge had its own competition and they made sure during the ending presentation to give awards for that and show photos of like the, what they considered to be the best entries. And there were some really creative entries using yeah. what was effectively just a pile of huge pile of random sprues. Yep. I, I still don't know how anyone gets something like that done in two days as it takes me like a month to paint a squad. <laughs> I, if I had had more, if I had realized that I had more time on Sunday between games, I probably at least could have gotten mine painted. Not to the level of what the winners did, but I think I probably could have at least gotten it mostly painted and like been able to present it as like a completed story. But yeah, I, I wasn't feeling super good. Uh, sun, a Saturday night, so I was like, ah, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'll just finish this up later. <laughs> but I have it, and I took it back with me, and I'll finish painting it at some point and share it. Yeah, you had a, a neat little uh, diorama, and th- that was the thing. It's like everybody was doing dioramas. It wasn't just like single, like single models. They they were building entire scenes, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Well, that was some of the instructions. They told you to build a story with this. Yes. So yeah, build that a story. was what they wanted you to do. Yeah. Hmm. Now it was it was fantastic seeing what people were doing. And then speaking of painting the when they did the painting competition for all the other armies, oh man, there were some fantastic looking armies out and display tables that would put anything I've seen in the past to shame. I mean, it was it was uh, I don't know that's anything. That Necron from Games Day is still going to go down as like Okay, yeah, sure. the mirrored <laughs> the mirrored tomb world in, to create the the Illusion of Infinite Necron Warriors was pretty good, but there were some nice ones this year. Oh, yeah, there were tons of really nice ones. Yeah. Well, so I guess, like, just to... Obviously, it's not the same as Games Day, but, like, does this kind of fill the void of, like, that we were asking for for Games Day with the... Now that it has a variety of events and activities for people to do over the three, four days, like, do do we think that this... but not quite... Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. So I think for me, it it sort of works as a replacement for game day. Like it's it's kind of a, in some ways it's a smaller version of it, and in some ways it's a bigger version of it because it's multiple days. There are hobby classes, there are hobby challenges, there are a variety of events from ranging from highly competitive to you know pure narrative like what we were playing. The thing that I think it's missing is the interaction. With like the game studio, the designers, the writers, things like that, that we got at Games Day. Because I, I want to say that I think Rob and I, you and I like set in on a Dan Abnett, uh, thing where he was talking about like architecting the Horace Heresy novels. And that was really cool. And like, it sounds like even 
with like Warhammer Fest and things like that that happen in the UK, we're not getting that level of like interaction with the writers and the game studio people as much as uh, as we were back in the the games day era. Yeah. And I guess for me, that's why I said it would get kind of, but not really, mm-hmm. because I viewed Games Day as more a convention where the biggest thing, like you said, that was missing was having the writers there and just getting a feel of the lore, the narrative and all of that stuff, as well as then hearing from the creators, which we got to hear from the game designers here of what they could talk about, um, which was really neat. Yeah. But. For these, it feels more like it's a tournament first. The other things are still later. I will admit, like the hobby challenge and all the, and the painting class are starting to bring it up and balance that equation, but there's still probably one third where it's like then two thirds is just all the tournaments that are going on. That's fair. I, I do agree that it was a better balance than last year, you know, and it felt, oh, totally. it felt more rounded than, and I think that's just, it's going to continue to evolve as they, as they continue to run these events in different locations and get kind of, you know, fine tune the concept. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there's other things that they could have, at, that I would have liked to see added in, you know, you mentioned having the authors and I think that would be a big part of it. I also think you've got like bolt gun, like video games. Like you could have a couple of stations where it's like bolt gun just came out. Have let people play like one level of bolt gun, have, a demo of Space Marine 2, like have the like the premiere demo of Space mm. Marine 2, which would also bring in some of the people who are exposed to the Warhammer universe through video games, which is increasingly becoming a thing as they've been releasing some really solid games under the Warhammer license. Uh, but no, uh, uh, so that was like the overall of, of the US Open. I do want to definitely focus on the Crusade event. Uh, that is where we were putting our focus this was kind of our last hurrah of ninth edition. I think we're all kind of done with ninth edition at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hate saying it that way, but I mean, there's some tournaments in Dallas this week, like the table or the friendly local game stores, and I just I've got no interest. I'm I'm kind of in the wait and see until tenth ed hits, and then I'll want to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for my last hurrah of ninth, I decided to break out Death Guard because I just spent. A weekend playing Tau, and I wanted to play something different that I also had fully pa- or mostly fully painted. I ended up painting up like my Blight Lord Terminators finally, and finishing up my Lord of Contagion finally, and just like getting a few models done for the week, which was nice to finally get that off my backlog. It was a good incentive for that. Um, Dennis, you brought your Voton because you had been traveling, and that's what you one of the armies you had with you. Yeah, and it's actually skyrocketed to my number two army. Eldar is probably always going to be like my first love for army but man the voton the models are cool the lore is cool the rules have been cool um so it's been fun playing them i don't get to play them a ton so getting to play them in back-to-back weekends was a blast for me and then kevin you brought your world eaters because that was also the army that you brought with you to to yeah yeah i brought i wanted to i wanted to play angron so i did a disciples of angron army list but at 50 pl that really restricts your choices <laughs> yeah yeah it does but it worked out for the most part okay except for yeah. Lisa, when i played lisa votan <laughs> fuck that army <laughs> i heart you too kev i think oh. we we all played leagues of votan this weekend i played there it twice were, <laughs> there were yeah, four I, leagues of votan players in the crusade 
Yeah. I, I played it twice as well, and those are my two losses for the weekend. <laughs> Uh, I managed to tie. I managed to win and tie leagues of Votan, so I did better against Votan than you did, Kevin. Well, and if I'm honest, I truthfully, I'd have to think through because I, I wasn't exactly playing to win. I was just more playing for priority objectives. Yeah. So, well, I, I didn't guess really te- care about wins and losses as much. Technically, I played leagues of Votan three times this weekend and lost all three games. But they got progress. The games got progressively worse. So that, if that helps, oh no, because the first two were both against me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, I do want to say something. I I learned something that this this past weekend at the U.S. Open, and that was that I had actually been playing my Tau slightly wrong, and I I am kind of embarrassed by this. And this is what happens when you you kind of fall out of competitive play and then you get back into it and you think you've looked at all the documents and updates and you haven't because you miss a vital one. Dennis, you know how I was complaining that Votan were like the the anti-Tau because not only could I not right. re-roll my ones to wound, but I also didn't get my extra AP. I shouldn't get you my get extra, your extra AP. AP. Yeah. No, you I should. don't get my extra AP because they they took that out in the balance data slate. Oh, yep. okay. Because I had I had checked the codex, I had checked the preview articles that they had on uh, Warhammer Community, I had checked the errata and the FAQ to like, okay, everything's there. I am playing this properly. I forgot to check the data slate. Because the only thing I remembered from the data slate was like, oh yeah, broadsides have core again. Like that was, the, and then I forgot, oh no, they actually modified Montka to not have the minus one AP, so... That's on me. I played Tau. I played Tau. Yeah, no, I've I played Tau wrong for, for the end of ninth edition. That That is completely on me. So, uh, but, you know, 10th edition, I don't have to worry about it anymore because Monk is going to be gone because uh, we just get Kalyan to start with. But no, I didn't. I, but yeah, I didn't play Tau. I played my Death Guard, which also um, I ended up playing a number of armies that were basically ignored a good chunk of my rules there, too. So... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I, but before getting into like individual games, um, I they set up an interesting scenario. They kind of hit us with it about a week or so before the event itself. They sent out an email to everybody who was playing and set up the scenario of you are all on ships escaping the ravages of high fleet, high fleet Leviathan when suddenly your ship gets yanked out of warp and back into real space entering a system that does not appear on any charts should not appear on any charts and is actually like not registering properly on sensors but there is a a message coming through that appears to be on like an old Mechanicus frequency like beacon frequency and calling you towards it with like a, almost like a heartbeat and so you could, you were basically given the options, like, okay, so tell us what faction you're playing, and then choose one of the two following. You are either in the Tenuous Alliance or the Ravaging Hordes. And the Tenuous Alliance was, you are the people who decide that whatever is on this planet that you're being drawn to, you have decided that you need to protect that thing and possibly, like, bring it back, claim ownership of it, etc. Whereas the Ravaging Hordes faction is the faction that just wants to go kill Main Berm and destroy everything. And I was on the... I picked Tenuous Allies for Votan because from the intel we had so far, 
this narrative I was creating for my group was the Grimnars are saying it's a possibility this is an ancestor core that somehow the Mechanicus got a hold of. We need to go and rescue it from both whatever's going on here and from the Mechanicus. So we need to go protect it, try and fix it, and then get out of here. So that was, that was the, the goal that I set for my faction. See, I, I liked this setup because it allowed it allowed all of the factions to kind of pick their own motivation. There were Chaos Marine players that were on the Tenuous Alliance because they wanted to, you know, draw people in for a fight. There were people, there were uh, Adeptus Custodes and Inquisition, I believe, on the Ravaging Hordes because they wanted to destroy this blasphemous archaeotech. Like, so it just created some really interesting alliances and, like, gave every army its own motivation that that set up the event and i thought that was really clever yeah that was something that in last year's event was a little bit weird because it was very clearly like chaos versus imperium in the last event and me playing tau i'm like ah, i'm not sure who i end up with you know so right. i just kind of threw in with a a group but yeah this time it made much more sense to Decide what does your particular force want out of this and choose choose a side that fits with that. So, yeah, that was a much better way of handling it. Um, we determined which faction had priority based on who could do the loudest war chant, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, and it also showed that, like, there, was, there wasn't a lot of unity on either side because I think everybody had their <laughs> own chant, except for the, uh, the, like, the three or four world eaters over on yeah. the uh, Ravaging Hordes, which all, of course, had, like, you know, blood for the blood god, <laughs> skulls for the skull throne. So, yeah. Corn for the cornflakes. Oh. Corn for the cornflakes. <laughs> no, we were all pretty much on, on, uh, on the same page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I will say that, like, one, I was a little, the one minor disappointment I had was they promised us in that initial email that they were, there would be follow up messaging and there wasn't. Like, I was kind of hoping yeah. for a little bit more talking about our particular, particular factions, drives, and things like that, but that, that didn't end up manifesting. And also, I feel like compared to last year, there wasn't quite as much camaraderie between members of the same faction, like, you know, yeah, alliance yeah. or hordes. I like, noticed last, that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I, was, I noticed that right away because, like you were about to say, last year, everyone was on similar factions. So, and you had time to get together and introduce and kind of figure out who was playing what. And we kind of came up with strategies of who we wanted to play based on, on that. And, and like you, this time, I think maybe because of armies or maybe because we didn't really have time to just sit around in downtime as a group, I didn't really get to know anyone on my faction. I knew people in the opposing faction and made friends with them, most of the people I played, a lot mm -hmm. more than I did with people in my own faction. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think one thing that was a little bit different last year um, was like last year – you know, they would still separate you two, like, okay, Chaos period players over here, Imperium players over here. And then the Zach, who was running the event last year, would hand out, like, objective chips to individual players. And so you all kind True. of, like, you had more of a huddle situation where it's like everybody's getting their own objective and you're all kind of trying to look at them and figure out what they mean and what you need to do about it and start talking about like, okay, so which table seems like the best matchup for me versus you. Um, whereas this year, uh, was it Chris who was running it? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris, who did a fantastic job. I do not want to sound, make it sound like I was unhappy with how Chris did. I think Chris did a really good job of getting everybody personally involved. Uh, but basically, he would have us all come together, and he would tell us, like, okay, so you're the – like, you get priority, so you're going to pick your deployment zone first, or you're going to get to pick your opponent. Um, and then – your priority mission, which is like, here's the mission we're playing. Everybody's playing this mission. Your priority goal is this. And then we just kind of scattered after that. So yep. it was just I, that I did feel like didn't hold together as well. And I think that's going to be in stark contrast with what they said they're going to do. at Because uh, we talked briefly with uh, Mike Brandt outside of the the individual events and uh and he also mentioned i think mentioned this a little bit during the ending presentation but that uh, for the grand narrative in um they did this for in new mexico they're going to do it again in atlanta they set up a discord ahead of time that had everybody on it and you could start forming your alliances and your friendships and your camaraderie before the event even started. Now that would have been a bit harder to do with the U S open because there were people who showed up day of, so that wouldn't necessarily work as well. But I do think it's cool that they're kind of trying to build that into the overarching narrative. And for the big finale, they definitely want to do that. I just wish there had been a little bit more of that for the, uh, for the, you know, for the U S open. But at the same time, I think they, they did a they gave us a good feel. They had a bunch of different war zones set up with different feels, um, even even just with using stock GW terrain, well, which I I liked. I'll toss this out. I think Chris also had some ideas because the packet that he was kind of going off of was different than the tickets and the packet that was online that people already had access to, because in the packet that he had there were games on friday saturday and sunday it would be like two games on friday two on saturday one on sunday and Mm -hmm. that would have given a more downtime in between so Mm -hmm. we could have had those and he also was asking if people or he asked me if i was interested in um, like spec op missions like having smaller little things on the side when there's like nobody else like no sanctioned time so you can just play do this and report him to the results so those could like not affect your crusade thing, but it would impact the story one way or the other type thing. And because it got changed from two to one to three and two and no games on Friday, um, I think that threw a wrench into his ideas for having those little extra side things as well. That's yeah. fair. So, yes. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, all all together, I think they did a he did a good job of setting the theme, setting a feel for the event. I did like that they actually had us kind of split off into you know with using like wall panels to kind of create. The, I think Mike Brandt described it as like a bunker for the uh, <laughs> for the the narrative crew, which I mean it was nice. We were definitely in our own area. There were some like props set up to just to kind of give a, just a little bit of a feel, and it. Like, overall, I think that the tone was good. There was a definite story, and I did feel like our gameplay impacted the branch, you know, what branch the story was going to go down. Yes. So I did, I really liked the narrative aspect of it. I am not as huge a fan of a cut, one or two of the missions in the packet. And <laughs> we, we did get through five of the six missions that they had for us. And it was like, 
and so I, I suppose we can go ahead and get into individual games now. But I will say the one mission I had I had the biggest issue with was uh, behind enemy lines. Behind enemy oh, yeah. lines, I f- I found to be kind of the the weakest one, especially because as a ravaging hordes, we were given the priority objective of secure ground. Now again, just like last year, they did not explain to us exactly what that meant, but we pretty much meant, knew it meant to hold ground, like ta- hold as much of the table as you can. Unfortunately, behind enemy lines says both players are trying to get off the table, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you can either lose the primary and win the priority or win the primary and lose your priority. But then I think... Well, I I think that was intentional because, like, there were several missions where that tension existed, where it's like, you your warlord is trying to do certain things to gain fame or infamy that are incongruous with what the mission objective is. And I, and I think that was very intentional. Mm-hmm. But I think it was still, like, the way you scored in that game for both players was get your units off the table. And mm-hmm. so it, it's like if I want to win the if I want to win the mission, I have to do the opposite of the priority, which that mildly, mildly frustrating. And it's one where I think it could have easily been a mission in the packet, whereas almost every other mission is attacker defender. I think that one could have also been attacker defender and have goals where the defender does not want to allow people to get behind their lines and the attacker mm. is trying to get behind their lines. And I think that would have been better, but not not specifically a fault well, of this event, you, but just of that mission kind of felt flat for me. You do get some victory points for killing or making sure nobody goes off the edge, I believe, if you're the defender. Mm-hmm. So there there were – it's a smaller number of victory points, but there were extra victory points for – not allowing it if you're the defender and having yeah. people in the opponent's um, deployment zone if you're the attacker. True, true. But like that, that one, I think that one and then um, the ritual was a tough one because <laughs> you had to um, stand in an open spot in the board with no cover. I'm <laughs> so miffed with, at that. I really want to play that as a defender. <laughs> with your with your warlord, who if you were disciples of Angron... Is Angron. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kevin, question. Would Angron really care about doing a silly ritual? Uh, here's the thing. If I had played him not to do that, I would have won that mission. Okay. And I would have, and I think I would have wound up, like, math hammering it out, I think I would have wound up scoring more fame points because I would have basically been able to charge ahead, wipe everything in two turns, and then get three fame points at the end instead of like holding him back and then just slowly getting whittled away. So I yeah. think, yeah, I, I should have played him more aggressively and play, I decided play, not play to. Play to your faction. <laughs> yeah. It's your faction's story. Also, Leagues of Votan just suck and I hate them. <laughs> okay, so Kevin, I want to see you start playing them in 10th because if you can't beat them, join them, right? <laughs> I mean, I do have... I, I do have all. I do have several boxes of stuff. To yeah, start all you need is a Sagittar or two, and you'd set right. Yeah, if I could ever find any. I know. I good luck. My eyes peeled. <laughs> but yeah, a quick uh, breakdown uh, of my games. Game one, I was playing uh, Voton, and again, I think this says something that on most of my players, I did not learn their uh, on some of their players, I did not learn their names. I didn't have any bad games. They were all great games, uh, but. Uh, 
I think I only knew the names of three of my opponents. Um, my first first round was against Votan, and I got first turn and just pressed into him and did not let up the pressure. And he chose to play very defensively, and it did not end up helping him in the end. I, I pretty much had him. I didn't have him tabled by the end of the game, but he only ever sat on. Uh, one objective, and that one was just like a a hold objectives mission primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, second mission was against uh, TJ Weinog, who I've uh, li- you know friend of the oh, show. Yeah. He's li- he's a listener. Uh, he I've played him at Midwest Conquest last year during the friendly. Uh, TJ is always a great guy to play, and yes. uh, he was playing his Emperor Spears Space Marines, kind of taking them out for a last hurrah while like chapters are a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I managed to table him, but due to Space Marine sticky objectives, he had those five points ahead of me at the end. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Because there was one objective he held at the end, or that he held for like one turn, where so he ended up getting like 15 points to my 10 that one turn. <laughs> and even though like I pushed him off of everything else, that one extra objective, just that one turn got him just enough points to to win. Which again is like in ninth edition, tabling is not the goal, especially I didn't table him until like turn turn like five. So I wasn't able to reclaim any points or anything. So he did manage to win. But, man, it was a fantastic game. Um, Like, there were were some, like, long bomb charges and ridiculous saves, uh, which always just makes for a fun game. And it was on both sides. Like, it it was great for both of us. It was a fantastic game. Uh, Third game was against Dennis. Hi. Uh, <laughs> hello, you Dennis. <laughs> uh, and that was one where uh, we were trying to um, sabotage objectives, if I remember right. You and were. I was just trying I, to like have my land fortress kill stuff each turn. Which, uh, I mean, you did. <laughs> I, no, I didn't. Almost. You, you almost did. Yeah. Um, and and my, my I know the priority on that one was acceptable losses, so we were allowed to lose as much as we could. And I finally ended up getting my... Uh, Lord of Contagion all the way across the table and um, onto an objective and you fired everything from the land fortress at it, which had been pretty damaged at this point. So you weren't hitting on fours anymore. And I shrugged off everything from the from the land Just fortress. Just because <laughs> of his rule that two ups or negative two AP counts as zero. Yeah. Because I have like 16 shots from that thing that are all negative two. And thus I was yeah, not and when you, through his two up armor. Yeah. No, that's. So I managed to hold off for one turn, which gave me enough points to tie the game. And I'm then I think say, you killed him on turn five. I did kill him on turn five. But to be fair, I think had I put all my firepower into him with the rest of the army that was still alive. Cause I still oh, had a lot of things alive. Oh yeah. He would have died. You would not have got that. And I would have like won that game, but I wanted to get the points for having the land fortress do it. Right. And thus that, that did cost, I guess the overall thing. Um, because yeah, I just, 
the land fortress in that game needed oh the warlord had to tell a land fortress to go kill or tell a unit to kill something so i was telling the land fortress because oh my gosh it has so much firepower and it was melting each of your units each oh turn. god yes like it, if it saw <laughs> if it saw a unit that unit died just straight up just dead <laughs> i mean the land fortress is exactly as advertised it is a fortress that moves on land um yes. But Bullshit, and even then, my you also got to face the wrath of the Hearthkin warriors and find out not the warriors the Hearthguard and find yeah. out how tough those things actually are. Oh too. God, yeah, those those things are are beasts to deal with. Because um, they, they I did finally whittle them units. down. Oh but, yeah, but it took yeah it they they definitely earned their points back. I think. Oh totally, they they held the center of the board, and I also used the bikes to. I mean, unfortunately, used them as a sacrificial move. Yeah. But I kept you from getting onto a point on the first turn to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you doing rushed. A, you rushed ahead and kept me from getting my like I was going to get my chaos spawn onto a point, and you and I couldn't because you were there. So yeah. I mean, the chaos spawn ended up pulling you off your bike and eating you. But oh yeah, like I said, that was unfortunately <laughs> a sacrificial move that was needed to be made, but making it slowed you down and and i I felt that entire game i was able to just slow you down you couldn't really make much progress forward and whatever came forward i was shooting and killing whatever was in front no that's absolutely what happened so it was a good game in the end Um, oh yeah it was fun and you tied. <laughs> yeah, and we tied. Uh, game four, I was playing against Drukari, which is an army I do not get to play against very often. And uh, he was doing a real Space Raiders army. Like, he had, uh, you know, he had an Archon, a Succubus, and a uh, Homunculus. And he had, you know, he had Witches and Cabalite Warriors and... Uh, racks and uh the that was b- the behind enemy lines mission and uh you know when i've talked about how like armies ignore my special rules like i can't re-roll wounds against voton uh i also don't care my like uh drukari don't care about my toughness at all <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of their weapons are like ap3 and ap4 <laughs> so uh yeah incubi suck to fight <laughs> Uh, real bad i'll agree to that although i will say like my lord of contagion waited in and just slaughtered like a unit of witches a unit of incubi um and uh let's see finished off a unit of i believe he finished off a unit of racks and uh he then fought uh the succubus managed to get the succubus like killed the succubus with mortal wounds from his relic man reaper, which was doing like six mortal wounds on sixes to wound. She then, but she had me, he had me down to two wounds with the succubus. She reflected three, two of the mortal wounds back onto my character. I died. She died. And then she got back up on a two plus (laughs) three wounds remaining. So it's just like, Oh, that, that, and I like, I knew that was likely to happen, but I still had to go for it. Um, but no, the big thing on that game was he had a unit of Talos. He had a unit of three Talos. Oh, gosh, yeah. And those, like, I held them back for a couple of turns with my Blightlord Terminators, but then eventually, or just like a couple of player turns, so like one round of game. And then he managed to escape them off the board, which scored him 36 victory oh points That's and more I, than any of ours yeah i could not come back from that and he he all but i think he ta- he actually did end up tabling me 
because it was just <laughs> what he brought to the table was just brutal. Um, I mean, it was a good game. It was a fun game. I had I had fun playing it, but man, it was it was rough for that one. And then um, last game was against Tao. Is playing a guy named Kevin. Uh, not you. Yep. And, but, but someone who you did play, and he took your. Uh, we'll, you'll talk about your game, but he took whatever advice you <laughs> gave him to heart. Um, he only brought like five units against my army. Uh, he had a Riptide, two units of Crisis suits, a commander, and a unit of bodyguards. The bodyguards sat back and didn't do a whole lot, but oh my god, everything else, um, especially. Uh, this you know this shows that like at the by the end of Crusade, especially if you've had a character who's been very successful at doing things, those characters can get mildly ridiculous. <laughs> oh yeah, and so like his commander, like I did eventually kill his commander, but oh my god, was he punching above his uh, weight weight limit? Uh, specifically because he had an onager gauntlet. And he could yeah. re-roll all his hits and all his we'll, wounds, and he had bionics, and yeah. We'll get to, we'll get to like my game here in a minute. Uh, it wasn't entirely the crusade stuff that caused him to be punching above his weight. He that that one commander punched out a unit of exalted eight bound in melee combat in the first game. <laughs> but but by the time he was facing me, he was even worse. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, you know. As we, you know, Dennis, you had suggested, like, if you had thrown more stuff at, like, some of my stuff, you know, like, my Lord of Contagion said, just the, uh, um, just the Land Fortress, you know, you could have math hammered it out and, you know, just weighted numbers would have worn me down. Um, he did that with his one unit with uh, triple burst cannons. Oh, so I had 54 shots with burst cannons where he could uh, – yeah. that one I don't think he had any rerolls on that, but it was still just ridiculous. Yeah, how many? You don't have to fail, what, six ones and then you're dead? Yeah, well, and this – like units of Plague Marines where I've only got three-up armor – um, and it's all one damage, so reducing the incoming damage by one doesn't matter. He can reroll right. ones to wound because he's playing Mont Ka. He's got plus one to hit because he's playing Farsight, and I'm within enough range. So it's just like, oh yeah, no, this everything just dies that you look at. Um, I managed to cripple his uh, his Riptide on like turn one with my Plague Burst Crawler. I left it at two wounds, and then he used backup AI all game to make it act at full, so I never did right. manage to finish it off. It's just like, I mean, they're all tricks that I've used before, so I know them, <laughs> but it's just like, oh, this is still really brutal, and I don't like being on this side of it. And that was also the one where my Warlord had to sit in the middle oh, in the yep. open and couldn't... I did finally like say, screw it, and I went out to charge him out and did end up killing his killing his commander, but then he just, the rest of his army just blew me off the table. So, so he definitely learned. <laughs> so I think I ended up going like one, three and one that weekend weekend, but I had a good time. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to see what, what armies look like when their, uh, 10th edition rules hit. So I guess I can go, go through my games next. Uh, yeah. So I've, First game I started off, I played Kevin, and uh, <laughs> he was a newer Tau player. So he, you know, he built a pretty good list, but um, he was like, "Well, I know that I want to hold stuff back in reserves." So he held his commander, 
and the and the units the uh unit of uh, uh burst cannons back in reserve and i told him like at the end of the game i was like if you had put started them on the field with the weight of shots you probably would have won the game well okay maybe not won the game would have probably killed my army the way that mission was set up i was able to hold points and i ended up winning the mission pretty handily um but was able to get into his mail you know get into his army with melee and and rip everything up and i think there were two models left on the table at the end of the game there was like one eight pound and angrand after he had been resummoned uh after dying um so like it was pretty tense back and forth uh with the way that shooting was going but if he put the 54 burst cannon shots on the table to start it would have been a much harder uh slog to get into melee because just the overwatch off of that is ridiculous so i told him i was like you get it's absolutely a really good idea to keep units in reserve not that unit that unit starts on the table every game because <laughs> i'm like that that unit's ridiculous you need to because sh- you you put that unit out in front and let them overwatch everything and you're you're gonna be in good shape so uh i'm glad good to know that i still know some of my tau tricks <laughs> <laughs> shoot bunches (laughs) turns out that works um but it was a really fun game again like the you know mission was kind of hold objective so i was able to kind of push things forward and and get into melee and then keep a couple units back to hold objectives the thing that's really nice about 50 pl incursion missions is at least in ninth edition we're on the smaller table so i was able to get turn one assaults every game like, I went first and got a turn one assault and took out his piranhas, I think. Like, took out his piranhas, like, top of one. And, like, killed a lot of his mobility and then was able to put a herding on his other unit of crisis suits that was on the table. So, it, every one of these games, just being able to get get in there first and get for top of one uh, charges was huge and really kind of was able to swing the game for me. In game two, I played Dennis and his Cheater League of Voltaire. Um, cheaters as <laughs> as a as a good indication of how this game went world eaters are uh, more than anything else about killing things an assault like destroying things kill main perm okay you know here you i might lose sometimes playing the missions or playing objectives but i'm gonna kill things even last year when i played my world eaters at the narrative the first like three games were like oh yeah i got tabled but he had two models left I had two models left, but he got tabled. I had two models left, tabled the opponent. Things like that. A lot of things die. I killed four models this game. <laughs> Not yeah, units. You did. Models. <laughs> and thus, you didn't even have enough. You didn't even uh, have enough blood points to bring back Angron. I yeah. I only ever got like a total of four blood tithe points the entire game because I was playing such a small army. I only had like four units. It sucked. I was. That game was frustrating. <laughs> what also was frustrating about that was the there were some interesting parts of it. And I thought maybe I ha- would have had an advantage. There was one where you had to keep at least fifty percent of your army in reserve, but no yeah, more than seventy five percent. I didn't. I didn't like it either because I want my army on the table charging turn one. But the good thing with that is eight bound have a rule that allow them to come in a turn earlier than normal, and it exclusively explicitly says. You can you can come in turn one out of reserves. So I was like, that's fine. I'll put all of my eight bound units in reserve. That'll get me up to the half the units, and then they'll all come in on one. 
and then they came in piecemeal because you still had to roll like whether they came right. in or not according to the mission. So I would get a unit in, and they would make well like the first unit failed their charge, and then I'd get another unit in, they'd fail their charge, and then the other unit finally came in and they'd fail their charge. So yeah. it, my army came in piecemeal, and and also wasn't able to make nine inch charges. Um, and when it turns out that like a unit of eight bound is getting ready to charge a land fortress and you fail the charge, they get shot off the table. And then the next unit of eight bound comes in at the same spot, fails their nine inch charge. They get shot off the table. And this just repeats until the game ends. <laughs> land fortress um, was really busy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like my strategy was decent in this because I set up. I set up Angron in a position where you to get a clear shot on him with the Land Fortress, you had to put the Land Fortress out kind of in the open. Right. And I'm like, okay, if I, you know, I can get these units come in, they come in with a nine, even if only one or two of the units make the charge, that should be enough to do damage to it and like knock it down. And I think that in theory could have worked if I could have made any charges at all. Um, I, I think had you made the charges, it would have been a lot closer game. But yes, yeah. I also intentionally put the land fortress there as bait sure. um, with the rest of my army. Because to me, Angron was the one I really wanted to take down. And so if you yeah. remember, most of my forces came in on that side where he was. Yes. And then surprisingly, when he failed his charge, because you just couldn't make charges. Um, yeah. He died. I'm like, oh, well, I've got all these guys over here. I'll get control this side of the board and then I'll send some support to the land fortress. But it was, I don't yeah. say not, it well, was there to shore up that side. That was the, uh, like, so that was the game where I kind of realized the, the explicit faults in running like such an elite army at such a small scale. I only had like five or six units total and like, if they don't come in all at once and don't come in coordinated, they are very easy to pick off three man units. You know, yeah, they're yeah. exalted eight bound are three up, four up, but it's still only nine wounds. And if you just dump all of your firepower into a unit, you're going to kill them. So, well, and even if I wasn't killing an entire unit, I was killing one or two, and that yep. drastically drops their effectiveness. Absolutely. So. Yeah, that game uh, that game ended very badly for me, um, and it's kind of funny because uh, we get to the end like they were counting up the fame and infamy stuff, and the leader I think with the fame was seventeen, and I finished like with fourteen, so I did pretty well on like fame for all of the other games. If I could have gotten anything <laughs> in your game, <laughs> and then played the final game just slightly better, I would have. I think I. Could have gotten to 17 and would have at least tied. I still don't know that I would have won the, the fame thing because I think the other guy had some tiebreakers in there. But yeah. it's like, I felt like I could have gotten closer if I had played a few of the missions better. But, uh, but Kevin, something yeah. else happened after our game for uh, bookkeeping. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was going to get to that. <clears throat> so <laughs> when you're playing Crusade, you you tally up your experience points and all of your your stuff like you keep a tally of all those things i didn't score any of the extra bonus points because they're all about killing things so it's like all right fine match you know play to match get one xp this is my mark for glory they get their bonus xp and then it, for every unit that died you roll for a battle scar so i had six units total five of them which are not named uh so i rolled uh for each one of them to see if they would get a battle scar and every single one of them rolled and got a battle scar that game. And I decided 
even though I had the XP to like just void it and be like, no, nah, they don't get one. I was like, no, you guys, you guys need to learn from this. <laughs> <laughs> so every unit, every unit got a battle scar. And then because of the way I built my crusade force, I basically swapped out every unit for the next game and they did much better. So I like <laughs> to a, think there was motivational so just, tactics that were involved. There. Just like changing <laughs> dice sometimes works, changing your, your unit sometimes works. Yeah, exactly. Just putting the exact same unit in there with the same, you know. Yeah. It's uh Yeah. That game that game was that game sucked. <laughs> it was a fun game. It just was like it was frustrating because I literally failed like every single charge that I tried to make that game. <laughs> which which is bad when you're a melee army. So against a shooting army. <laughs> against a shooting army, yeah, exactly. And it turns out later when I'll get to my final game. Mm. I don't know that it would have helped much anyway, because even if I'd been able to kill the Land Fortress, I don't think I would have been able to kill your Hearthguard. So <laughs> so my next game was against TJ, uh, same same player that Rob played. So listen to the podcast. Great game. Super fun. We were playing kind of a, a modified Hammer and Anvil where it's like the defender gets like half the table and the attacker gets like a deployment zone that's half of the other half of the table. Mm. And TJ's a melee army. So he's like, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to put all my stuff forward and we're going to sit in line. We're going to, we're going to melee. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to push all my stuff forward. We're going to melee too. I got to go first. He put his redemptor dreadnought. He thought it was far enough back. And then Angron flew like 19 inches over and sat next down next to him. And was like, Hey, what's up? Uh, And he's immediately like, Oh my gosh, I should have pushed him back further. And I'm like, honestly, it really wouldn't have mattered. Because even if you put him on the back edge, Angron still would have been in charge range. So I'm like, no, I went first. That Redemptor's going to die. And that Redemptor died. But because uh, Angron like, jumped over there, killed the Redemptor in top of one, and then uh, consolidated into like his block of characters. So Angron was just in melee the entire game. Like, just in the middle, killing, killing things, killing characters, killing vehicles. Bladeguard veterans are very hardy, but still just eventually died a weight of attacks. I believe I did table him in that game, but it was, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun back and forth. It was a lot of melee. You know, he did punch out several of my units, obviously like it was, it was a good fun back and forth, but uh, yeah, it was nice when someone wants to like actually play melee and not just sit back and shoot. <laughs> cheaters. <laughs> um, and then uh, on day two, I played uh, Wyatt uh, and his salamanders, uh, which was a fun game as well. That was the, um, I believe that was the the behind enemy lines mission. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, same thing. Space Marines that were not necessarily trying to do melee, but were trying to do short range because it was mostly multi guns and flamers. So uh, again, I was able to go top of one. I got into his lines. I killed his uh, ATV, and I want to say he had one other like fast unit. I think it was a captain on a bike or something. And I was able to kill those top of one. And then from there, it was just kind of mop up, you know, going through and fighting through the units. Um, Overwatch is still brutal with flamers. Like that's, you know, they're, you know, they were able to to take units out in, uh, in Overwatch, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good fun mission as well. Uh, and I was able to just with the speed, be able to pin him back in his, uh, in his, you know, back line and then, and then consolidate on the army. And then my last game was against his dad playing uh, Leagues of Votan. And uh, he did not have a land fortress, 
but he had two units of Hearthguard and uh, a unit of Berserks, and they are nails. Like, Hearthguard are, are nails. Oh, yeah, they are. they are. You cannot shift them. And Berserks, I was able to kill, you know, his unit of Berserks in a round of melee pretty easily, but they have fight on death. Right. So they fought back and punched out the unit that killed them. So, like, they nice. traded, you know, points points wise, even though I, I did cut through them pretty quickly, they <clears throat> they fought back and hit the unit that, that killed them and, and won their points back. Very um, nice. That was the mission where uh, the warlord had to set on the objective and was, like, <laughs> performing the ritual. And so Angron was setting further back. And then I also made a mistake. I set another unit back on a point. Because I thought the point scoring for the game was hold one, hold more, hold all. And it's hold two, hold more, hold all. So I was like, oh, well, having one unit setting on an objective, it doesn't mean anything. So I unfortunately caused myself to kind of piecemeal my assaults because I had a unit that was further behind setting on an objective that didn't benefit me. Um, And then Angron, like, basically he killed my entire army and then Angron came off the point and almost killed his army single-handedly. Um, basically, it came down to... Uh, he he had a unit of Hearthkin warriors that I wasn't able to get to, but basically, Angron came forward, hit what was left of the uh, the Hearthguard and his and his uh, call. Uh, and his Einhir champion was also a, is a beast. Oh, yeah, that guy's just um, a melee beast. Yeah, and he had pumped him up, so like he was hitting on twos and was like... Could, yeah, was was able to do extra damage and stuff like that. He was he was a beast. I guess again by the end of the game, like you know, by the end of the tournament, he's kitted out. Has been giving him all these extra experience points and and giving him all fun upgrades and stuff. But Angron did kill most of everything in the army, and basically it came down to if I had rolled like two or three attacks better, I left one Hearthguard warrior with one wound left, and then he was able to kill Angron. <laughs> if I had killed him. I could have fallen back onto the objective and then it would have been another turn. It would have probably been another turn or two because the heart, the Einher champion and the hearthkin units would have had to have ran basically all the way across the board to get to me. So I probably could have like completed the ritual and won the game and, you know, got a couple extra fame points. But, uh, unfortunately I left one guy with one wound left and then he, he hit me with a, he hit me with his power fist. But it was a fun game. All, all of my games were fun. Like, they were all fun back and forth games. Uh, even the game where I got completely stomped was still was still a fun game. <laughs> Just, you know, sometimes that happens. But, right. yeah, all my opponents were great. The games were all fun. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. Okay. So, I guess on mine, I got to start out with Tyranids. And let me tell you, Tyranids are scary, nasty um, and kind of like Eldar in the previous edition and Votan a little bit in this one, um, how their points have increased, but the power levels don't change. That you could be said for the Tyranids as well, because he even said, yeah, if this was pointed, I'd have way more points because they never adjusted power levels. So I've got all these cool toys. And it was a rough fight. Um, I, I did wipe out. Most of his army, I can say that, but he did table me, which was the, the sad, I mean, it took him four turns, but yeah, the, the hive guard, the, um, screamer killer or the hive lord, 
tyrant. That's the word. Hive tyrant, hive tyrant yeah. and screamer <laughs> killer just just made short work. And the hive tyrant's gun was like a damage five gun that was just it melted through the land fortress. I mean, I was able to spend the CP to have it act as full one turn, but it doesn't heal its wounds, so it 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 was not a happy day because all the I mean, it it killed a lot of things on his on on his side, but then by the time the big guys got there, it, yeah, I did not put up much resistance afterwards. Um, so no, I did not hold points. Pretty much got tabled, and that was just a a big L on that regards. And other note, um, the Tyranids player did go pretty much undefeated all the way to the final game, and thus yep. I think Kevin, you were gonna no no you were trying to play the lion. Because someone yeah. brought the lion and dark angels, but the lion had already agreed to play against the Tyranids as they, he had also gone undefeated. So that have like the two, like foremost armies facing off. So yeah, it, it was pretty clear that like those were probably the two best players and two mm. best armies that were brought. Um, cause they, they kind of tore through everyone in their games. Uh, so they were like, yeah, let's fight here in the last round to like, determine who's the champion and i was like i wish i had known earlier that he'd brought the lines i didn't find out until like right before the last game if i had been able to challenge him earlier i wanted to see angron in the line fight but that's fine yeah that would have been cool and then let's see next game was against kevin uh i think we heard how that one went um then my third game was against Rob, and we've, we've also heard how that one went (laughs) so (laughs) moving on to day two yeah i was very curious ab- about um the Eldar player that was on the Ravaging Horde. So I noticed when she didn't have anyone at her table, because we got to pick that time, I-, I went over and asked if she wanted to play Votan again, because I asked the w- other w- one of the other World Leaders players if he didn't mind playing against Votan. He said, I've already played them once, I would prefer not to. So I'm like, okay, that's fair. I will go find someone else. So I, he he seemed to be free, but I always looked for someone else. Um, mm-hmm. And so I ended up playing the Eldar, and this was the mission that Rob has hated of the get your people on the other side of the board and have them go off the edge. And the Eldar player, was is she was new to the game, been playing kill team, and so she was kind of readjusting to 40k rules instead of kill team rules because they're similar enough, but there are the slight differences. And I just thought it was cool that, hey, Kill Team has gotten people into 40k and that's the grand, um, they've graduated from Kill Team to Crusade. This is awesome. And like she had the Wraith Guard with the Decise, the Wraith Lord, a Wave Serpent, Fire Dragons, Dire Avengers, um, Prince Iliel, and a Spirit Seer. And so that was her 50 PL. And early on, we easily discerned during setup that, oh, the Wave Serpent could move all the way across the board and then next turn unloads payload and st- have a people start getting out. She did not do that, but the threat of that made me put some more forces over there. The fame reward for this one was your Warlord had to be in the opponent's deployment zone. So once again, last year, I had no issues with all the fame and things because Celestine was a Warlord and she was just, oh, I'm moving here. Oh, ha ha ha. And mm-hmm. Votan's short little stubby legs do not handle movement very well uh, so all the ones where you have to get close to things i did not get fame until like late in the game so that that did hurt me on going for that th- option but as the game went um yeah i 
focus fired my entire army on the wraiths. Well, the majority of the army on the wraiths because I just wanted those wraith guard dead. Because if they had gotten close to me with the decise, I would have had things melt, and I didn't want that. Um, so I was able to take them down, and the dire avengers did like next to nothing against the hearth guard because, as we've noted, they are just sturdy, sturdy units. Mm. Um, and so she had a thing where when a wraith unit was destroyed, it would drop spirit stone and she could have a uh, unit go pick that up. And if so, then that unit got experience, AKA, Hey, let's go. So like space Marines go for gene seeds. Um, well, I guess they don't have any crusade rules for that, but the Eldar were going for spirit stones, which just makes sense. Um, so they were pretty far back. And as I was pushing all my army forward, where they died ended up being, I like put my pioneers right there to kind of protect my warlord. Cause my warlord was behind the pioneers behind a building. And I didn't want anyone trying to get there and shoot them. And so uh, it, the whole theme I was taking is, is the Votan are like, we're just trying to do our jobs. We're doing there. If you don't get in our way, we don't have a grudge against you. You get in our way. We have a grudge. Um, and so the spirits here was like, um, can I go get that spirit stone? And the Votan were like, if you're not going to hurt us, we won't stop you. We know what it is to have a duty to go do. So, um, yeah, uh, she moved the spirits here within the little <laughs> two inches away from the pioneers, picked up the spirit stone, then went on her way again. And, uh, so it was nice, nice little interactions like that, that I like of if you're actually playing the factions, because like Photon and Eldar, I don't know, they don't have any grudges. Oh, world leaders and Death Guard, yeah, you guys are like chaosy and bad, but Eldar, you're not, you're not so bad. We'll come to an understanding, except for well, it's um, true because dwarves and elves famously don't have any grudges in in historical settings. Or <laughs> <like that>. <laughs> hey, <laughs> every time a unit shot mine, we shot them off the board. But if they didn't shoot at us, we weren't <laughs> shooting at them. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, except, like I said, except for Prince Ariel, who, yeah, he liked to use his eye blast on us, and he was trying to melee us. Like, so once he got into melee, the funny thing was, um, we punched him, and he took a wound, and we said it went in his eye because then for the rest of the game, anytime <laughs> he tried to use his eye weapon, she was rolling ones. Even on rerolls, oh, it was a one. So it's like, yeah, take that. Your stupid eye doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Uh, so it, 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 it was just a fun little narrative game there. And that's, for me, that was what the game was all about is, I mean, yes, you're playing to win, but you're wanting both players to have a good time. And especially if someone's new and kind of learning the game, you don't want to like make them not feel welcome or make them just feel like they can't do anything in the game. So I enjoyed that game. And I think that game was kind of like yours, Rob, where if I'd put all my firepower on, I probably could have tabled her, but that wasn't in the spirit of what we were doing. So I didn't, I was more, right. let's tell a story. Let's have some fun. Oh, you just want to get out of here too. Yeah. Well, I want to get out of here this way. So you go that way. I'll go this way. Yeah. Pick up your stones and we'll, we'll both leave. <laughs> <laughs> Something that was probably could have been done in an email. We had a meeting on, um, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this meeting could have been an email. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then for my last round, um, I actually played against her husband. So they'd, I think, both come from spring, uh, from St. Louis. So they traveled out here. And so, and he was doing, uh, Necron, 
which was very interesting because I really haven't played against Necrons in this edition. So um, I was still sad because, as you guys noted about that, I was on the other side of the ritual where I had to go stop it. <clears throat> and I'm like, yeah, I'm more interested in the ritual. I don't know if I want to stop it because this is fascinating because that would be my Grimnar's thoughts. So once again, I, I was moving the Grimnar forward and then I'm like, well, the Necron saw me as like, he raised a hand and I, and the Grimnar said, I'm just observing. I won't do anything to stop you. Um, they might, but I just need to observe and collect the data here. And then he kind of like lowered his hand and let, the Grimnar stay there. And so true to my word, uh, the Necron did not shoot the Grimnar and the Grimnar did not do anything, which is kind of sad in a way. Cause I could have taken away their invone saves, which would have made shooting them so much easier. Oh my gosh. Those, <laughs> those invone saves on some of those guys. Um, and also my the Grimnar was my warlord who had like two extra wounds by now because we we're in the last game. So I had now six wounds instead of four. I had I still had the I regen a wound every turn. I had the resurrection thing on them. So if I died once, I come back on a three up and five up feel no pain. I, I was decked out, but my Grimnar just cast um, fortify the entire time. So probably a, a not good thing on points but it, to me it was thematic of they're here to study to figure out what in the world is going on here so i i liked that narrative even though it took away like a large chunk of my um support things because oh my gosh the lich guard i knew they were going to be bad um so in top of one i took that entire squad down to one wound on one model Ooh, but that means i didn't kill the squad back? How much uh, came back? <laughs> well, that's after, because the Necron have the thing of, that's after all the other coming backs. Right. So that was the en end of all the all of my shooting is down to that. But he had a, I don't know the name of it, one of the Cryptek guys can bring back a model from a unit each turn. And so by turn two, he had a second model back. By turn three, he had a third model back. Oh, <laughs> so I, I killed those three again, but if they did not have those invone saves, oh, they would have, they would have folded much quickly. Um, but yeah, turn two, he moved a bunch of warriors in front and I'm like, they're pumping out 30 shots. The Lich Guard don't have guns. I need to kill the sh guys who sh can hurt me instead of the guard who are just protecting his warlord. Um, and that's the thing we learned. I learned is Necron have just weight of fire is painful. So eventually I got rid of all his guys that were shooting me. Well, no, I didn't because I was still trying to kill the warlord. Eventually, I killed all the stuff that was guarding the warlord. He was down to a unit of warriors on the far side, some flayed ones who were trying to ineffectually melee against the hearth guard. Because as <laughs> theme here, the hearth guard don't seem to die unless you're being slaughtered by giant tyranids. Yeah. Um, and his two other characters, he had one that was kind of holding the point. They were holding the points, then one kind of ran away after I killed the other one because... Uh, well, the entire game, I was just putting all this firepower into anything at the at, in the middle at the ritual site. And by, I think, the third or fourth turn, I was able to get there and finally got everything shot off the site. He was Then I took care of the warriors and flayed one. So by the end of the game, all the Necron player left had left on the board was one character that was in a far corner hiding in a building. He probably could have ran him away if he could have. Um but point-wise, I did end up losing that game because 
the Tyranids, not Tyranids, the Necrons that came from behind took me off one of the points. And as Kevin was noting, one being on one point doesn't matter in this one. You have to hold two. Mm-hmm. So he held two longer than I held two. Um, so that got him like, I think it was like a 10 point win for just that one turn of me not having people on both when he did. So in the end, he pulled out the win. It was a fun game, but I pulled out my mission of clearing the, uh, the warlord off the thing and observing it. So I was like, yeah. Personal missions accomplished, which was what I liked. And it felt fitting for the entire overarching narrative of what my army was trying to accomplish here. So, and I, in my mind, at a crusade event, that's what you're really going for is the storyline mm-hmm. of what your army does. And so I'm thankful that they put together an event where it allowed something like this. And I'm, I'm thankful my army was able to kind of finish out and tell a story as it went through the entire five rounds. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's the best part is being able to tell that particular tale in a narrative setting. Um, also, like as far as the overall results, uh, one thing Chris did bring up was that it basically was back and forth. I think every game it shifted by like this faction's ahead. No, this faction's ahead, but like by a point. It was real mm-hmm. close the whole time. And the final result was, um, I believe the tenuous Alliance tenuous allies won, but it was by like a 2% score. <laughs> like it was a, t- it was a very, very close victory for the tenuous Alliance. So whatever is there on the planet of Occultaris, uh, is actively protected. And this is, will then lead into the next event, which I believe is Tacoma. Um, yes, and they think they so. did specify that all of the events this year are one linked story. And so by what happened in KC, that sets the stage for what will happen in Tacoma, which will set the stage for what happens in Tampa, which will be, be completed in uh, Atlanta this fall, which you two are going to. Yep. Yes. I think both Kevin and I have signed up. Um, I've signed up. And this one, the Atlanta one, still listed three factions. So I, I've signed up for the, um, not the Tenuous, the Interlopers, a.k.a. the Xenos factions. I'm assuming yeah. Kevin's doing I chaos. I chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do not know if I will be able to attend. I would love to go, but we'll, I'll have to see what my finances look like because we've had a lot of expenses. Like, uh, Dennis is now the, not the only one who bought a new car this year. I have also purchased a new car. Uh, but but I, I, I'm still kind of looking at that. I would really like to go, although from what I understand, it's almost sold out now. They had over, what, That's... around 400 spots, and it's down to less than 40 I think yeah, available. I think the they said that's what I'd heard originally, and it was like ended up being like three hundred and twenty. I think I heard another thing count of, and there's under forty, and that's why Kevin and I said we have to jump on this now. Yeah, um, but still, in the back of my mind, three hundred plus people playing in a narrative event—that's crazy. Yeah, no, it's gonna be. It's going to be insane. It's going to be awesome. I look, if I don't get to go, I look forward to hearing you two reporting from the scene and letting us know how it all goes. But we'll do. Uh, we, 
Obviously, yeah. we will have more coverage of that as we get closer and closer, and then after the event itself. Also, uh, real quick shout outs to the for the narrative. Uh, obviously, this is not a best general type situation, uh, but there were three awards given out. One was for best painted, and that went to Joe Dolan, who I do not remember which army he had. He was the white and blue Votan. Ah, okay, oh, that okay. was it. Okay, all right. Uh, and then uh, we meant it, we meant that we have mentioned fame and infamy a few times. Uh, and last year, Dennis won most famous. You know, he was the yes. hero of the event because there were extra tasks that your warlord could carry out. That if your warlord did this thing, they would gain fame. But if they did the opposite, they would gain infamy. And uh, you know, and Kevin, you said you were probably getting close to possibly winning most fame. It, it sounded like fame was very tight. Like, I think the winner had, I think, 17 total, but there were other people. There were, like, a handful of other people that were worth a few I, of that. I know yeah. I was close to that as well. I think I might have had 17, yeah. but, yeah. But, uh, but then there was also Most Infamous, and there was only one person who was in the running from that. And from what Chris was saying, that one was not even close. He, this person went out of their way to earn as much infamy as possible. So Corbin Latchaw was our most infamous player and Brian Ronning was our most famous player. And also both of them were playing Imperium armies, uh, both Imperial Guard. And I think uh, Corbin also had an Inquisitor with him as well. Yeah. So he was an infamous Inquisitor and a very famous Imperial Guard general. Well, so and that was really cool, I think. How they were kind of spinning this also is they changed these from most famous and most infamous to protagonist and antagonist. So yeah, sure. in a narrative setting, we'll see in the future if this holds out, I could see that the Inquisition have done something to either trigger this, turn it on, or Inquisition did something weird, yeah. and thus they're the antagonist. And our protagonist is the wonderful lowly guard that have to go solve it. <laughs> I mean, this almost sounds like a traditional GW story <laughs> in the making already. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, anyway, that wraps up our coverage of the U.S. Open. Again, I don't expect it to be back in Kansas City three years running, but, oh, I would be so happy if it was. It's a, It's been a fantastic event both times we've gone. And I mean, GW, if you're listening, we will not be heartbroken if you are back in Kansas City. I know two of us drive slash fly there, but we we thumbs up support Kansas City if you want to come back next year. Yeah, we'd be totally, yeah, sure. totally fine with that. Uh, so anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be talking about our take on how the 10th edition rollout has been going. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmultacase.com. 
KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time to talk about uh, the 10th edition rollout and uh, how that's been going. So uh, there are... Some interesting changes as to how this is being rolled out, how 10th edition is being launched. And I think, um, you know, we'll get to the actual Leviathan box in a minute, but I think one of the biggest changes I've seen is that they didn't wait till launch day to drop the rules. I think that was, yes. that was a surprise. I think that's a big deal. It is a very big deal. So the core rules are available on Warhammer Community, and uh, it's the entire rules. Like, uh, as someone... Uh, so first off, full disclosure, we were provided with a copy of the Leviathan box by Games Workshop. I would have had more of it built and painted by now, but I had a Votan army to build and paint at the same time, so that one kind of took precedent because that was for charity. But I have actually built... Uh, most of the Marine side, Richard, I know you've been working on the Tyranid side. I have, I have, I've built everything except for the Termagons. Right. Which, I mean, they look like they go together pretty easily. Yeah. But we'll, we'll talk about the box itself in a bit, but rather than having people wait for Leviathan to hit on June 24th, which is our, we've been kind of suggesting that that was probably going to be the release date. That is now officially the release date is June 24th, but we are not having to wait until that point for people to get up to speed with the rules. And it is the, like, it is the full rules. And, uh, one of the things they did announce, and we had talked about it in a past episode, is that the core rules would have their own page numbering. So if you have the physical book, you have the same page numbers for your rules as in this PDF. And it is a 60 page PDF. And it is, it is letter for letter, image for image, the exact same pages that are in the, uh, the Leviathan core book. I so, will say I really like this, Rob, because one of the things we've had in the past is you, you feel left out of like, oh, I didn't get the box. I won't get the rules. Yep. Th- they're online. Yeah. No, it's it's all available online. Uh, this is this is huge. This is a huge change for, for Games Workshop to just put this all out there. I mean, technically, the core rules for Age of Sigmar, the original Age of Sigmar, were dropped for free. But that was like a four-page pamphlet. This is a 60-page rulebook. But having 
everything available as as a download is is gigantic. I mean, I I cannot understate how big a change that is for a company that has made a lot of money on their big rule books. I mean, yeah. when those books are like 60, 70 bucks to buy and you have to have one to play to just be like, nope. Here's all the uh here's here's all the rules. Now this does not include the deck of cards, obviously, and that is where a lot of your missions are going to come from because there is one generic mission in this book. Uh so don't expect to like have a lot of flexibility in the gameplay. Also, combat patrol rules are not included in this. This is just the core rules, but still it's everything it's stratagems terrain rules like these were things that were not in the downloadable core rules for ninth edition like you had all the rules that you needed to basically get the basics of play but you didn't have really the ability to get the the full sense of the game this you actually have with this download so that is that is huge yeah they they do also have like a i think it's quick start 10th edition rules that they released a couple weeks earlier and it's like a four page like just kind of rule summary that's more equivalent to what they did in ninth edition where it's like the bare bones basics this is like everything so i i'm very impressed by this yeah i i was like i was surprised i was honestly surprised by this move um then the next thing that surprised me is that they released the data sheets for the contents of the Leviathan box ahead of time. And this is big, and I do, I'm going to go ahead and talk about this aspect of Leviathan now. Um, the box set does not include data sheets. And when we first got our preview copy of that, this was not inf- communicated to us ahead of time at all. And so I'm going through this box. I like, I crack open the box the day we receive, and I'm like, there's, I don't know what any of these units do. Like, it's not in here. It's not in here at all. There's always usually been, like, a, a little slim book that covers the units in the box set and all their stats So you can, and a couple of, like, starter missions so you can play right out of the box. Leviathan is the first box where you can't do that without going to their website. And while I like that the data sheets are there for everybody to see even ahead of time. So it does allow you to be a little bit more of an informed consumer about whether you want to get the Leviathan box or not. I still don't like that. They're not in the box, especially when one of the big selling points is, yeah, the data cards, they just are on cards that you can like, you just lay out your units right in front of you and you can see exactly what they do. And we got a little bit of that. One thing we didn't talk about for the U S open was they did stream a couple of 10th edition, 2000 point games. And we got to see a lot of the data cards for those factions. They would bring them up on screen for the people who are watching the stream. And apparently they had them out for the players to use and the, for who were playing those games, but it's still like, why don't we have those physical cards in the box for just those units that are yeah. in the box? So that's that's an odd choice. Um, I mean, I could see from their side if you, especially if you just had those units, then you'd have duplicate of those cards if you actually bought the full decks. And then if they put the full decks of both Space Marines and Tyranids in there, they probably would have increased the price of the box by a lot. Yeah, possibly. 
they also also the next thing you know they did announce you know they are going to be selling these packs uh they they did not go up for pre-order this weekend along with leviathan so my guess is they will go up for pre-order probably next weekend so they were also available at launch but also they are available as free downloads now this was something they told us would happen day one it is now happening day minus 14 or so which that is also fantastic um so uh, th- this was an article on June twenty or June seventh. So this is about four days ago. They, you know, they when they announced this and they said, "Hey, this week we're going to go ahead and drop the indexes for Tyranids and Space Marines, the full indexes, everything in those cards." And then starting, I'm assuming tomorrow which we are recording on Sunday, June 11th, starting tomorrow, they're going to start releasing the downloads for all the rest of the factions. So my guess is that by the, possibly by the end of the week, because there's more factions than there are days left until release, my guess is by the end of the week, we will probably have all the factions available. Like, you'll be able to download the rules for your faction, read them, read the rules. There's also a possibility that points may be released this week as well, so people can start building their armies. And again, Games Workshop stated goals, they want people playing day one. Um, if people can start playing lists, I mean, they'll start be able to start playing lists a week before the box drops if they keep that schedule up. That truly would be amazing, and... I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, right now, I'm even looking forward to when the days happen, like mostly like Eldar, Votan. I want to see their full list of cards. But then, as you mm-hmm. said, Rob, it, it, that just shows you what things can do. It, we're going to have to wait till the points drop for us to actually know how much of things we can use. Cause you said, like, in the stream, those were probably 2000 point games. Cause that's in the core rules. They state that about a three hour game is about 2000 points. Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of guess that. And it looks like from what, at least I saw on the Eldar table, it points are probably similar ish to what we've got. I don't know for sure, but, but we'll see. Um, and then the nice thing of points not being on the data cards is they can change the points however they want and they don't have to update a book or anything. Or- oh, that, that, yeah, that was one of the things they specifically called on the stream that that those data cards they intend for them to be in use for the entirety of the edition right you know they intend for those to be you get one you get, you buy your deck of cards at the beginning of the edition and they won't change points might change faction rules might change but the data cards themselves won't and another thing i like that they said about the data cards i think it was there on friday night when i was watching the stream while kevin was painting um or it was thursday night when you were in the painting class um Mm-hmm. That the prices for the cards are going to be different per faction, aka based on how many cards are there. So if you have a small faction, like only maybe 10 cards, y- your price might be cheaper than the Space Marines that have like 2 million cards. I'm exaggerating a little, but they have a lot. <laughs> only a little bit. The, the Space Marines index, I'm looking at it, that is 252 pages. Now, that's so two pages per two. unit. Yeah, so yeah. it's still minus a few pages for, like, their detachments and, like, the detachment-specific rules. But you're still talking, like, 115 units. It's, yeah, and it's we, a lot. And <laughs> we saw the And box somehow the Chaos Marine the- cards are going to be 
Oh, and somehow the Chaos Marine cards are going to be 25% more. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we actually saw the box of Space Marine cards at one of the demo games because he got it out to get out yeah. some of the cards. And that was like an inch and a half to two inches thick. It's a brick. So, I mean, yeah, it was huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Whereas, yeah, the 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 Voton one's going to be like if you add in a few cards for their faction ability and detachment ability and their strats and enhancements is going to be like 18. <laughs> yeah, Voton will be slim. Uh, Custodes will be slim. Chaos Knights will be slim. Eldar will be pr- big. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the other one? Sisters will be a little big, but nothing will be as big as Space Marines. No, nothing. Nothing will be quite quite on the scale of Space Marine. Uh, World Eaters will be pretty slim. I mean, I well, there's there's another conversation that we need to circle back to as part of the release discussion. But my hope is because of some of the other things they've done to Chaos that maybe we'll get some units back that weren't in the Codex. Hopefully, yeah, I, I doubt it. No, maybe. no. So I, I think this is is good to talk about um, some of the reactions to the stream, to the uh, and and to the release, and to some of the other things that have been announced. So, uh, first off, we had the stream, and immediately the cries have gone out: Death Guard are done forever. They are terrible, and Eldari are broken and should not be allowed. Um, th- that is basically the the two hot takes I have seen from from people's reaction to those stream games. And what is funny is Rob Jones, who uh, also known as the Trojan on Goonhammer, was one of the two players. He was the one playing Death Guard in the Thursday night streaming game. And his response, like he talks about the game at length on his page or on on goonhammer mm-hmm. he had he did an article the game was a, a he lost the game but it was 88 to 95 like that's not a he, he didn't get wiped they talked out the last part of the game at the, after turn four but it was still a close game and he also like he admits there were a couple of things he would have done differently because this is a new edition and mm-hmm. he doesn't know the rules as well as he you know and the data sheets as well as he might have otherwise. And he also didn't build his own army. He gave them this is what I'm going to be bringing to KC. Can you make a list out of that? And that's what they did. They gave him a list. He didn't know what he was going to be playing when he came right. into it. So they didn't have their points. Yeah. Well. And then, as you mentioned with the Eldar stuff, I think it's very interesting because a a local tournament, Bug Eater, has basically announced uh, that unless there's an errata FAQ, they're they're not going to let people play Eldar at, at the at their tournament. Yeah, so they're, they're still just not not doing it. <laughs> yeah, they just Which announced like a reaction. That's a wild overreaction. <laughs> well, they 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 announced a reaction to the reaction and basically trying to say, well, we were just saying that. If 10th edition came out, and if we had all the data sheets, and if all the points were out by this particular date, which they're most likely going to be, then we would allow 10th edition, but we would have to ban Eldari. And I don't think that, like... That is a wild overreaction. That is a wild (laughs) overreaction. I mean, that is, and I, I'm pretty sure that we'll probably see something. Guard will probably have a tank that does the same thing as the D cannons that people are freaking out about. Yeah. And no one will bat an eye at that. Well, they'll say, well, that's guard. 
because that same thing yeah. happened with Voton. People were wanting selling banned Voton, and then the, one of the things that was that is the guard got the same ability, and no one batted an eye at guard having it. So yeah. I think it's it's more just player mentality of um, guard and Space Marine should have all the toys, and Xeno should not be able to do anything cool. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, that's my overreaction. Yeah. Now, I I do think there there was a a massive overreaction to that. Are Eldari possibly going to be strong? Yes. What they have is a very strong ability. I am not going to argue that at all. Is it worth banning them before we have seen points, before we have seen their full data sheets, and more importantly, before we have seen anybody else's data sheets? Like, they may be strong in that one matchup that we saw but maybe they're not that good over like they may have plenty of competition like they're going to be good but well, they may not have Pe- well, like think be overwhelming people more afraid of having an indirect fire 24 inch bubble that you can use on overwatch spin fate dice to automatically hit spin fate dice to automatically um wound to get the critical wound that makes it mortals and it does d6 plus 2 damage if you had a third six, you could put a six there from your fate dice, and suddenly by spending three fate dices of six, you have you're causing eight mortal wounds to a unit that just happens to be within twenty four inches of you. That's what people aren't liking. The right, flip side no, of that I, is, I agree. That's that's a one shot thing because unless you are rolling, you have so many fate dice. Because that was my complaint about face dice early on is. I would still rather them be per battle round rather than you get your front loaded. Cause being front loaded mm-hmm. means you're front loaded. You can do stuff like this. So it, I think Eldar might be one that it has a very quick alpha strike, but then after that, they'll probably taper down. Well, maybe, maybe not their guardians. Cause they did release the defender guardian defenders data right. sheet, uh, can generate you multiple fate dice per game. So per game, but yeah. I, I well, it's, it's like every t- round. No, every turn at the end of your command phase for each objective marker you control that has one or more units from your ability with this ability or from your army with this ability within range of it, roll a d6 and add it to your fate dice pool. So, okay, so you so, you can still hold strong if you're holding objectives with defenders. You don't even have to hold yeah. the objective. You just have to be within range of it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you yeah. don't have to control the objective. Or no, it does say for each objective marker you control. Okay, no, it okay, does. Okay, good. So, that like, right. Yeah, sorry. I just read it out. <laughs> yeah, so you do have to control. Yeah, so you have to hold objectives, which means people are going to go for those guardian defenders and try to get them off objectives. Yeah. Well, and, so one thing I'll say is like, obviously, anytime an addition comes out, you reset the rules, you release new rules, you're changing the balance of the game. You're changing what's good, what's, you know, what's going to be top tier, things like that. That's all going to shake itself out over time. GW has actively for years now been doing balanced data slates and FAQs. If an army comes out the gate too hot, they will fix it. It may mean that, yeah, you get a couple of tournaments where you get Eldar just curb stomping everybody. And like, that's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. This has happened before. We went through Eldar being good, then Tau being good, then Admech being unstoppable, Jirkari being unstoppable. Like, it all eventually will fix itself. And like I to fully ban something to, to throw the ban hammer around on something based off of one stream game, not seeing any of the rules is completely insane to me. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And as you, you know, from what the designers have said, like if they need to fix Eldar, they can do it with points and they can do it by adjusting yeah. that strands of fate rule. Like we were talking uh, off off show about the possibility of like, hey, if you change the strands of fate ability to never count as critical hits, that takes that devastating wounds ability on the D cannons out of the picture for automatic hitting yeah. wounding. So that like there's ways they can get around this. So w- without breaking the index cards. So I do like that design that they can the data sheets can be fine and then you can adjust the rules around them. Uh, now, as far as other other interesting takes uh, on uh, June first, uh, so a couple just shy of a couple of weeks ago, they also made an announcement about what horse heresy models were going to look like in tenth, and the answer is primarily they're they're getting done once and then left alone, and they are not going to be actively maintained or balanced. Um, for the most part, there are a couple of unit types, specifically Custodes and Imperial Knights, because they are still considered mm. active and using the same gear as they always did. But uh, Horus Heresy units are going to be relegated to Legends. They will do data sheets for all of them, including things like the Chaos, the Chaos Kratos, which has never had a data sheet before. And then they are basically just leaving them like it will be relic. Those are primarily to be used in Horus heresy. There will be 10th edition rules for them, but they will not be supported for matched play. Yeah. I think this is fine. Horus heresy model should stay in Horus heresy. I get it. Like it's, it's not ideal for somebody like me who has bought multiple Spartans and some of these other things and like other forge world units and like plastic Horus heresy units, but I get it. Like, it's a different rule set. It's a different system. They want to keep them separate. They want to keep those units in that game. It makes 40k easier to balance. I am totally good with that. I think all of that makes sense. And I, as we've we just mentioned earlier with the Space Marines, they should probably be culling more units and putting more things in Legend than they are. So what? Just because there's know. <laughs> like ten lieutenants and just oh my gosh. Well, there's what three different bike units for Space Marines that all basically do the same thing and all fill the same role. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they they there is duplication in some of these books that could be cut down. I think they should be, I think they should be edging more towards putting stuff in Legends and taking stuff out of the game, reducing duplications. That said, what pisses me off is all the chaos stuff that wasn't from the Horus Heresy that was also like, and yeah, you don't get to use this either. Yeah, and that, again, one, I, that one surprised me that they I, threw all of those in. I, I, mean, I understand the logic of it. A lot of those are older models. A lot of those are kits that they are probably going to work on replacing, potentially moving to plastic, potentially like just retiring. So I get it. Simplifying the Forge World rules and trying to streamline that i think that all makes sense it's very frustrating when they're like the the Black scorpion and the blood slaughters and the chitin those are all relegated to legends of horus heresy and i'm like okay but those are all explicitly not horus heresy stuff guys i think that was just a wording issue because like in a different post earlier they said like zarachniel and some of the yeah. other greater demons are also being relegated to legends yeah yeah no i i get it i think overall it's 
I think overall it's them trying to retire some of the older Forge World models, and maybe they'll get new, you know, they'll get new uh, rules when they release new versions of them and things like that. So, like, I'm largely okay with that. It's just I think it's it, a disproportionately hit chaos players, and I, I, as especially world leaders players, like if you were explicitly a world leaders player, I don't really care as much. I don't. I don't have as much as some other people do. It's so it doesn't bother me as much. But I've seen for uh, world leader players that are like, oh yeah, in the last eight months, I can't use this guy on Juggernaut. I can't use this captain. I can't, this this chaos lord. This chaos lord. This chaos lord. This greater demon. This unit of chosen. This unit of bikers. This black brass scorpion. This blood slaughter. This dreadnought that I have kitted out a certain way. These terminators that are all kitted out wrong, and like. I get it. Like if you've spent a long time building an army and then in between a codex and changes in the edition, they wipe away 70% of your options. You're going to be upset. So, so yeah. I understand why they're doing it, but Kevin, I'm going to be upset. Could we, is this a silver lining? Maybe the hate they, GW has against chaos space Marines. They've just moved all onto world leaders. And maybe that means chaos space Marines will actually get like decent now. Right. Right, but I don't have any reason to play Chaos Space Marines now. <laughs> now that I have World Leaders, I don't need to play that book. <laughs> well, and it's like, I, I even feel your pain in slight slight levels because I have a Death Guard Helldrake and a Death Guard Vindicator sitting up here mm-hmm. on my shelves that I, I'm looking at, like, do I just strip these? Because, like, I mean, the Vindicator, yeah. there's no point in stripping because it's also got a lot of green stuff work. But like the Helldrake, I might strip it and make it for my Emperor's children. I guess I yeah. You know, there's I might until, as well until they get until they until get they get a codex. Yeah, right. <laughs> and lose my um, I have a uh, decimator. I have an Emperor's children decimator that I can no longer yeah. that I that will be legends, and, I, and I'm fine with that. I almost never bring it out, so it'll be available right. for yeah. fun play, like for casual play, narrative play. I can use it whenever I want, and I think I, that was that was one. So I get. I get the feeling of disappointment. I mean, I, I've already mentioned how several times how I feel about it with my Terminators. You have the same problem mm-hmm. with your Terminators because you equip them in ways that are no longer legal. Although, who knows? When we see the new data sheets, maybe they'll have fixed that. Exactly. I can only hope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, the, the the thing that the thing that frustrates me about it is the 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 online discourse. A lot of people that are complaining the most loudly about this, and it's not all of them. A lot of people are very upset because. Forge world models or models they've converted or kit bashed are no longer valid. And I and I get that. However, the thing that gives me a little less sympathy for some of these players is oh, but the you know the the um Blood Slaughterer was a really good unit, it was really overpowered, that's why I like taking it. Okay, you're mad because you lost your broken Forge World unit, not because you liked having that model. And like, cause you can still play with the model. You can still run it in other games. You can still do it. And just you just can't bring it to tournaments. And I think a lot of people are like, "Well, but this unit was broken and was really good." Or you know, this Horus Heresy tank filled a gap that World Eaters didn't have because it gave me all this firepower. It's like, well, it's kind of the point. That's why they're banning it. Yeah, like it's it what it didn't fit where your army did, so they're removing it. I, I don't know. Like, I it's. I'm very much of two minds about this because I don't like restricting player choice and I don't like people that spent a bunch of money on Forge World models. Like just all of a sudden you can't now use these the most common way that people play. But on the flip side, 
exactly what you said about your chaos decimator. Most of these units didn't get used. The only ones that really got used in tournaments were the broken ones that were causing problems. Like Leviathan Dreads in Iron Hands, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, now, I would also point out that, you know, you said, well, the most common way to play. Actually, tournaments are not the most common way to play. And that's the only place where these are, are not going sure. to be supported. And as of right now... They're only not supported at Games Workshop competitive events. So, like, you cannot bring one to a tournament at Warhammer World. If you wanted to bring one of these units to a narrative event, it would be fine, because that's not a competitive event, at least as far as we know. Um, but also, I like, a lot of the people who were complaining, and again, I understand the feelings. I, I've been there. But I also noticed that a lot of the people who were complaining, and people that were calling them on this, were not tournament players. We're not people who even gave a damn about a tournament. It's like nobody's taking the, your unit, your models away. They're giving you rules for them. They're just not going to actively adjust the points on them for balance purposes. So if yeah. they're if they're going to be too good, they'll might be too good, but they'll be too good in very limited. You know, in like casual play, they're not going to be too yeah. good in tournament play because they know they have to maintain a very carefully balanced tournament environment. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think on the other side of this, too, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they banned Contemptor Dreadnoughts or this unit or this and this. And it's like, well, OK, yeah, they banned Demos Pattern Rhinos and uh, the Proteus Land Raider. Y you know what those models become when you play them in a, when you put them in a 40K list? They become rhinos and land raiders. Yeah, your they, contemptor they dreadnought just becomes a dreadnought. It just is a different pattern. Like you can still use the models, you just have to get slightly creative with it. So yeah, and they I don't even know. specifically I don't hate it said overall. that. I just yeah. So yeah, it's I understand yeah, why yeah. people are frustrated, but it is a hot take that did not need to be quite so hot. Um. As far as the box set launch itself, um, there was a lot of worry going into this that, as we have seen, you know, a lot of GW products over the last couple of months have been, and they're gone. <laughs> you know, as soon as that you hit the website, it's like within minutes, it's gone. Um, and there was a lot of concern that they would be that way with Leviathan. And there were some retailers, not all, but some retailers were remarking online that basically they put in their requests for how many boxes they wanted to have. And in some cases, they got like a, a quarter to a third of that allotment. Like they did not necessarily get all the boxes they wanted to have. Now, I do not know if that includes like people who specifically pre-ordered or if they were just saying, hey, we'd like to have X boxes. So we, we'd have to like to have this many boxes so that we have plenty of extra to sell after our pre-orders. And it looks like that may not happen. Um, but from what I have heard about how the rollout went, uh, the queue system seemed to work okay. Uh, mm -hmm. I did not see a lot of uh, horror stories online from various people saying that they were unable to get a set. However, I will say if you wanted to buy Leviathan, the window, at least from Games Workshop, has closed. Uh, that that is yep. sold out online. I think we mentioned that earlier in the show. That is, it is completely sold out. No longer available online. Uh, your local retailers may have some copies, although a fair uh, a, a a fair many are probably already spoken for thanks to pre-orders. Um, however, I'm going to tell you right now, as far as my personal opinion, personal opinion. 
if you do not play Space Marines or Tyranids, you do not need the Leviathan box. You may want it, but you do not need it. It is the fact that the core rules are available outside of the core box for free means you do not need to own this box to play the game. Will the chapter approved decks be available for tournaments to use uh, outside of this box? That we don't know, but I can't imagine they wouldn't put them up for pre-order at the same time they put up all the data cards for pre-order because those yeah. are kind of required for match play as there is only one mission in the box. And if you are buying a $250 box to buy one deck of cards, you have made a bad decision. Uh, so Rob, uh, so question for you then, uh, why do you hate games workshop? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay. So I, I don't hate games workshop. In fact, I love the fact that they have made this box <laughs> almost completely superfluous to buy. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I'll note is, as you said, Rob, I, I probably will not be p- picking up the Leviathan. I also if you're not space marines and tyranids i don't recommend it because you're getting models you won't use but if you like the way the models look go for it because the models especially on the tyranid side look really nice i mean richard might shoot me down on that but i to me i think they look really nice and just from my experience that we didn't get into the u.s open of I did find, well, I was talking about the lion being such a cool model. And so one of the people who wasn't a GW employee walked over to the shop and came back with a lion thing for me to go purchase myself. But, uh, when I got in that line, everyone there was who was buying the line because they had just opened it up because they had 10 boxes and we just happened to be there. None of us played Dark Angels. We all just wanted the model. So. This is the 250. If you just like the models, that would be reason enough. But like Rob said, if you if you don't play in the factions and don't care about wanting these models, you sa- save the money because all the rules will be online for you to use. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and you're you're totally right. The 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 Tyranid models look really cool, um, and they go together pretty well. I know you've I, had a couple of issues on like the screamer killer with the pegs being traps, which is always a concern with Bushfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, as I have put together everything except the stern guard vets and the, the l- lieutenant and the apothecary biologus. Um, but the models I have put together, cause I definitely wanted to put together enough to at least be able to field the combat patrol. Uh, because I will say that is one nice thing is the new combat patrols are built entirely out of models from this box. So if you do want to get into the game and you want to split the box with somebody, I think that's a good way to go. Or if you have a roommate who you want to yeah. get get into the game with there, I would definitely say like this is a good way to, to get in. It's not a bad set with the caveat of you have to go online. I still like that. That is almost a deal breaker for me that you cannot just crack the box and play that you do have to then go online to actually get the unit rules. Um, Though like I have no complaints about the models within the where like the way the models have gone together, where the like where they've put the seams between the pieces that you put together. It's beautifully done. There are models. Some of the, um, the Inferno Squad, the split is along the rim that 
of the shoulder pad. So the bottom of like the ridge of the shoulder pad is one piece mm-hmm. and the rest of the shoulder pad is another. Like there's some very clever cuts on these models and they're very like they're they're well done. I really do like the models. Uh, but I me personally, I probably wouldn't even though I play or I have a Blood Angels army that I'm working on. I don't know if I would have gone out of my way to buy this box by myself. Uh, but the model, the models are good. I, I had no complaints about the models, no complaints about the quality of anything that's in the box. I'm just like, just wanting to be very clear. If you weren't able to get a Leviathan box, don't feel bad. Like, don't feel like, don't get yeah. FOMO because you really didn't miss out because everything else is being given to you for free. Everything is being given to you for free, except for the models themselves and and the mission deck. Supposedly, there's going to be a uh, you know a tournament pack that will be released for from Games Workshop using that deck. Uh, the downside is you won't be able to do the tactical objectives. I don't know if they'll include the fixed objectives in there as a free download, but uh, I. St- like I can't imagine they won't make that available. Although we'll see if they sell out because chapter approved books have ten have sold out super fast in the past. So hopefully, mm-hmm. given that this is a important way on on playing the game, that they have included these or you know included enough copies so that everybody that needs one can get one. Um, even though they do support two players, as as we've discussed on with past things, like you can't ex- you can't base your event on half the players bringing the, the the materials for the other half. Right? Is the box worth two hundred fifty dollars? Maybe. I, it's it's even more expensive than I think we were predicting. I think if you're a Space Marine or a Tyranid player, I think it is. Like, cause I think that you're getting enough models in there, getting all of the extra bonuses with the rule books and, you know, hardcover of the rule book, things like that. I, I think it probably is. Um, cause if you're looking at, say, for example, you mentioned the combat patrols. So we're just going to compare that to the $160 combat patrols that you would be picking up later. Cause that's how you'll be able to pick things up later. That's going to be about half or a little bit more of the, um, Tyranid force. And it, a good portion of the Space Marines, I think, minus like some of the characters. So if you think, if you kind of go off of that metric and go, okay, the Space Marine half of this is $160 plus two characters, which are $30, $40 a piece, you're already at your $250. Actually, it's even without better. Even considering the I would say it's even better than that because the Combat Patrol is literally the Terminator ca- Captain, the Terminator Librarian, the Terminators, and five of the 10 Infernus. It's a 12 man oh, okay. so, combat yeah. patrol. So like the dreadnought, the other five Infernus, and the store, uh, the stern guard and yeah. the other two characters aren't even included. So, so yeah, it's, so a, it's, well a, it's a, not a bad deal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's worth it. If you play space Marines or Tyranids, I don't play Tyranids. And while I do really like the space Marine models, I really like the new terminators. I really like the stern guard veterans. I like them to kit bash. And I can't do that with push fit models. No, you cannot. Easily. So I, for me, it's a pass only because the space marine stuff is push fit. If it was the full kits, which would make it kind of a terrible starter set, admittedly. But if it was the full kits and I could like kit bash them and do some things and use all of the bits that come with the Stern Guard veterans, then I, I would probably pick this up and then look to, you know, sell Richard the half of the Tyranids or something. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, I, yeah. It, it's one of those where there's enough other stuff that's coming out with the rule book being made available, the data cards coming out that I'm like, yeah, I don't, I didn't feel any need to go get this. Um, whereas like with Indominus, I was like, okay, I need to pick this up because the space room models look cool and the, all the Necron stuff that's in there. Like, I don't know. I just, this didn't hit me the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, at, yeah, I, I would say my, my initial, my gut punch review of Leviathan was it doesn't include the data cards. It's crap. Now they did make them available for download. So it's fine. It's it's a fine purchase. If if like if you order it, I wouldn't feel bad about it. It's just not one that I would personally get. But that's but I don't think there's anything bad in, in the box. I think it's just more about it, it, again, it's one of those things it's like and it's always been like addition launch boxes. It's always been with the if you don't play those two factions. So like in Indominus, if you didn't play Space Marines mm-hmm. or Necrons and weren't interested in starting them, you didn't need it other than it was like the way to get the rule book at first until the core book became yeah. separate, you know, available separate or available separately. This is now you can just get download the book. You can download the book. Yeah. You can download your data cards. You can download your points. If you're already a player, you do not need this book. They've given you everything else for free or you don't need this box. So, um, so don't feel bad if you, if you weren't able to get in that window, if you do want it, hopefully um, there will be, some available at your local store don't do not buy this box from scalpers absolutely do not there is nothing you need to pay scalper prices for in this in this box not at all everything in here will be available separately later on so don't don't fall into that trap but uh but overall like i think they're handling the launch this is probably the the biggest launch they've done we've seen several edition change like we started recording right after like fifth edition started i think or right around that time so we've seen our share of of big edition changes the biggest was obviously between seventh and eighth i this is not as big as that change and yet also huge (laughs) because like yeah I mean, it's still a decent number of changes to the rules, but more importantly, I think they're handling this in a much more player and consumer friendly fashion in that they have made this, they've done something that I didn't think Games Workshop was capable of doing. They've made the game easily accessible, especially to existing players, to players who may have fallen off and have their collections and have been sitting around looking for a way to use them and being able to just download everything for free and start playing. That's fantastic. And they've, they've stuck with that. I hope that they're able to stick with this design philosophy of, Hey, these indexes that you download, those are locked in from now on. And, will just change everything around them. That sounds great to me. <laughs> so, yeah, overall, I, I the, the 10th edition rollout has been better than I perhaps expected. Um, and we will, I mean, obviously we're not there yet. We have two weeks until it actually drops. Next week we will be start seeing data sheets. We'll probably talk a bit more about that and the launch itself because our next episode will likely be recorded the weekend it comes out. On, you know, on shelves. Yep. So, uh, so uh, I mean, I think that pretty much, unless anybody else has any final notes on, on the release and how they're doing it. 
So uh, the Sunday preview article just dropped, um, and there's no additional pre-orders this week. But they did confirm that on the community site, they will be publishing the remaining data sheets for all their factions, as well as points by the end of the week. So, Oh, very nice. They're committed to getting all of it out ahead of time, which is great. So that's huge. I applaud that. Yeah. We'll be publishing all the remaining data sheets for the other factions, as well as all the points at the end, at the end, all the points at the end of the week. After you've had to, so yeah, so that holds the schedule by the end of the week, which is usually they drop the Man. last article on yeah. on Friday. So yeah, be crazy which is week. which is great because people can you know people who don't can start playing the game. Like we have the core rules, we have the points, we'll have the data sheets. They could start playing games this weekend, which yeah. is great. Yep. That's amazing. Have we ever had a launch where you could actually play the game before launch? I don't think so. No. I think I this don't is think the first. So. So, soft launch date is going to be probably June 16th, hard launch June 24th. All right. Well, uh, as I said, we're going to try to keep this to a tight two, so uh, we'll be skipping hobby progress today, uh, but we will be back in a... Sorry. We We can catch up next week, or next episode, we'll catch up on our hobby progress, but we we are we are at our our appropriate time limit, so we'll have to call it here. But uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks from all of us here at Preferred Enemies. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Uh, Good night to good gaming, and we'll see you in two weeks when uh, 10th edition drops. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.